Our scripture reading this morning will be in Philippians. You can turn to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 12 through 21, so you can follow along in your Bibles, or it will also be on the screen behind me. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. So good to be with you. It's good to get to grow alongside you. One day after the next, as we behold the Lord Jesus Christ, we are being made more like him. What a privilege to get to do that together. It's a little bit of what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to stay in our Bibles in chapter 3 of Philippians, looking at verses 12 through 21. Last week, we were in verses 1 through 11, and as a a brief recap, in short, what we learned was we're called to rejoice in the Lord by resting in the Lord and in Him alone. Once a sinner has found rest for their weary soul through faith in Christ alone, they begin to truly rejoice in Jesus. They enjoy him. They treasure him. They love him in an increasing measure. You can watch it in their life, in their pursuits, what they talk about, what they think about. And slowly but surely, this new believer is beginning to become more and more like the Savior. They've been justified once and for all by grace, through faith alone and Christ alone. And now they're being sanctified more and more into the image of Jesus. They're like newborn infants, the scriptures say. They're just craving the the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. They're hungering for Christian fellowship. They want to be around believers. I was reflecting on this, and I was thinking about a time in my past, in my life, before I was a Christian, thought I was one, and I wasn't, and, and I, I had no desire to be around Christians. And now I'm just, I'm hungering to, to get time with you. And through spiritual disciplines, a new believer is growing. Through fellowship, through gathering with the saints, a new believer is growing. They're becoming more like Christ They're maturing. That's what Christian maturation, that's what the process is like. And again, it's this little by little thing. It's it's day after day. It's almost, it's hard to to see it in a moment. It's like watching a flower bloom. Takes time. But from one degree of glory to the next, in little increments, that's what God's doing with you. He's making you more like Jesus until he takes you home to be with Jesus. Or until Christ comes here to establish the new heavens and new earth. Christian maturity is what we're talking about today. None of us are as mature or as sanctified as we'd like, right? I mean, if you're going to say amen at any point in the sermon, that's, that's the time. None of us are as mature as we'd like to be. I'm, I'm your pastor here. I'm the lead pastor here. I serve with three other elders, and, and I'm not as mature as I want to be. But God's not done with me. He's not done with you. He's he's still working on us little by little, day by day. Praise God. 
In verses 12 through 21, Paul, he's highlighting five marks of a mature believer. And here's the first one. A mature Christian is one who is honest about their shortcomings. Uh, Just to paraphrase that, a mature believer is one who doesn't walk around saying, I'm mature. It's one that's saying, God's still mature in me. He's honest. She's honest about his or her shortcomings. Look at verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love it. I mean, if anybody's mature, Christian, it's the Apostle Paul. And yet he openly and honestly writes it down that he's not perfect. I mean, he's not arrived. I'm so grateful that he wrote this down because otherwise I think it'd be easy to believe that, well, if anybody was perfect, it was Paul. Paul's not subscribed to the fake it till you make it, Christianity. He says, I'm going to make it. I'm going to persevere to the end because of Christ, but I'm not there yet. And to make this point crystal clear that mature believers are those who are honest about their shortcomings and they admit that they're not perfect, he reiterates it. He says it a second time. Look at verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own. Thank you, Paul. (laughs) Me neither. And there's some kooky people throughout the centuries of the church who have made claims that sinless perfection is possible. And what's interesting is that there's been people who are who are sound in terms of their orthodox, they're, they're Christians, they believe the gospel, and they have believed error on this part. They, they have believed that sinless perfection is possible. Uh, John Wesley is one of those people, right? But then you got some kooky people on the, the side where they don't believe the true gospel. The, they're in the prosperity gospel camp. Uh, people like Joyce Meyer, who she thinks that she's arrived at a sinless point of perfection. She's a current teacher right now. She's a false teacher. Uh, Todd White, famous on YouTube for his uh, fake healings, legs lengthenings, and he thinks that he's arrived at sinless perfection, and he would encourage you to do so too. But it's just not true. Instead, we have to go back to the Word of God and, and see what it says, and it says that in Christ, we are positionally righteous. Through faith alone, we have We are declared holy and righteous in God's sight. And yet, in that safety and security and in that complete sanctification of our justification, he's sanctifying us. He's making us more and more holy. He's making us more and more righteous. That's this weird tension that we live in. It's true. I love the way 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3 put it. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now through faith in Christ. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Meaning, we will be practically as righteous as we are positionally through faith in Christ. One day. He says, it's not yet appeared though, but we know that when he appears, Christ, we shall be like him. Positionally and practically holy. Praise God. And then it says this, it says, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus Hopes in him purifies himself as he himself is pure. Meaning, in the meantime, as children of God, as those who are justified by faith alone, what are we to do? We're to continually hope in him. We're continually put our trust in him and him alone. And in so doing, as we look to him and his cross, he's making us more like him. He's purifying us. As we look at the purity of himself. So a mature believer is not perfect. A mature believer is honest about that. But a mature believer is also eager to be purified. They're eager to grow in sanctification. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 says this. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. He's holy. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We're not being honest. We're not being mature. And we do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, not being honest. It says we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. Maturity is openly admitting that we have not yet arrived. We're still in the process of growing and maturing. We've all fallen short. We continue to stumble and fall at times. What's interesting is that that honesty, where does that honesty come from? I think here's the progression of, of being an honest, mature Christian. I think it starts with turning to the holiness of God, as it says in 1 John. As we look to the holiness of God, we're humbled, aren't we? Because we're not comparing ourselves with other people who are also sinners that are needing to be sanctified. No, we're comparing ourselves with a holy God who needs no sanctification. And so holiness leads to humility, and that humility leads to honest lips. I haven't arrived. And that honest lip and that confession is a mark of humility. And it's really the beginning of, of maturity, rather. It's the beginning of maturity as well. I was uh, at coffee with a, a brother this week, and he shared with me his testimony. He said, man, it was only when I, I began to confess my sin to other believers that I began to grow at all in my faith. And I was like, amen, me too. That's my testimony. That's the testimony of any Christian, I think. As soon as you start opening up about the fact that you, you haven't arrived yet, is when God starts to grow you and sanctify you in some serious ways. It's amazing. And so we just got to bond over that. And, and I did a little research, a little digging. I'm not a math and science guy, but I was so curious. How do we grow physically? And what stunts our growth physically? The World Health Organization says that the primary causes for physical stunted growth are these. Inadequate nutrition, number one. So either you're not eating enough food or you're not eating enough nutrient-rich food. That's the number one cause for stunted growth. The second one's interesting. It says recurrent infection or disease. A, a disease that's allowed to live on in your body can actually not allow good nutrients to be absorbed into your body. And I was looking at that and I was going, that's, that's basically what Paul's saying about our spiritual health here. Is that we need to have the adequate nutrition. We need to have a healthy diet of God's word. That's why we always teach the Bible from the pulpit here at Christ Redeemer Church. But that's why we also need to be in our Bibles between Sunday mornings. Jesus says that the word of God, it's like food for our souls. He, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as much as your body needs the nutrients of healthy foods, it needs the word of God. But the other thing that stunts our growth spiritually and our, our maturity is this. It's when we harbor the disease of unconfessed sin. I mean, that's why we have small groups at this church. What an opportunity to just have a, a small group of people that you can just live openly with and, and grow alongside. In all humility and honesty, looking to the same holy God who knew that we were sinners. I mean, he came to save us from our sin, right? So, honesty is a mark of maturity. It's the first mark. It's foundational for growing in maturity. We've got to confess our sin and we've got to lean into greater righteousness by being with God, being in the Word of God, being in Christian fellowship. So honesty in and of itself is not the dead end to maturity. It is definitely the springboard to it. But honesty alone, without the active pursuit of sanctification, is not very helpful, right? If, I mean, you just show up week to week and you continue to confess your sin, but you never lean into the Lord for His mercy. You never lean into the Word of God. You're not going to grow. So point two is this, we need to grow in maturity by actively pursuing sanctification. Look at verse 12 again. It says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. It's so interesting. The word or phrase here, this press on, 
It's used of a sprinter. A sprinter. This is an energetic action. It is forward leaning. It is moving ahead. It is, I'm leaning into this. I'm inclining my heart and my mind to this. My time for this. Paul is pursuing sanctification with all that he has, with every fiber and tendon and muscle in his spiritual body. He wants to grow. He wants to win the prize. He wants to finish the race. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Can you imagine if, if you viewed your sanctification that way? I mean, I'm running to, to get first place. I'm running hard. And if we were as mindful about the fact that our sanctification doesn't just impact us and our own practical righteousness, it affects everyone around us and our lives. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, see chapter 11 of Hebrews, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. How? By being honest about the fact that sin does still cling close. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. So I think it's interesting. While sinless perfection is not attainable in this lifetime by any of us, I'll tell you what is attainable. Sinful complacency. It's just being satisfied with Thinking you've hit, you know, I've hit a place in, in my Christian maturity. I don't really need to go any further than that. I think I've learned just enough. That's a temptation that comes for all of us, especially over time, especially in our later years. It's spiritual laziness. So we need to be on guard against it. I, I distinctly remember a time, this is before I was a Christian, I was in college, and I remember thinking, gosh, if, if I can never conquer all the sin in my life, then what's the point of even trying? I mean, to think like that is to think with an unregenerate mind. And I remember thinking, well, I guess I'll just keep some sin, and, and the stuff that's easier to get rid of, I'll just get rid of that sin, you know, and I'll be a decent person, but I won't pursue maturity. I won't pursue perfection. Lean not into your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. You've probably heard of uh, the goals out there called SMART goals, that acronym. SMART goals, what does that stand for? Specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound. Those are SMART goals. And it is pretty smart to, to set goals that have some of those things incorporated. What God's calling us to is Something that's not achievable in this lifetime. So it probably wouldn't fit that category of a smart goal. He's saying, I'm, I'm calling you to be holy as I am holy. And in this lifetime, you'll never reach that pinnacle of perfection. But when my son comes, you'll be just like him. You'll see him as he is. You'll be completely pure in practice as you are now in position through faith in him. I think of the old adage, it actually was from Norman Vincent Peale, he said, shoot for the moon, and even if you miss, you'll land in the stars. That's kind of what the Lord's calling us to do. He's, he's calling us to aim for the highest heights, knowing that we're not going to reach that in our own efforts, and definitely not in this lifetime, but by God's grace, we're going to be more and more made into the image of Christ until finally he comes. And we're a glorified state. So we're called to pursue sanctification. And the motivation for our pursuit of sanctification is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why, Paul? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love what Hebrews 10, 14 says. It says, 
For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I want you to think about what I just said. For by one offering, Christ has made perfect for all time those who he's making perfect. What an interesting thought. That's what he's doing. He has completely sanctified us when we put our faith in him. And yet, he is sanctifying us until we're completely sanctified on that day. This is how we need to think like this. This is Christian thought. And it is going to impact the way that we live right now before he comes. John 13, verse 10 and 11, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But is completely clean, and you are clean. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I've washed you clean by my blood. You who put your faith in me, I've extended grace to you. You are as righteous in God's sight as I am righteous in God's sight. All of grace. You're clean. He says, there's going to be some upkeep, though, until I come back. Your feet. He's saying, there's going to be sin that you're going to need to repent of. There's going to be sin that you're going to need to confess as a believer. There's going to be sin that you need to flee from. There's, there's going to be time for repentance and turning to me and trusting that what I've done is enough. That's your feet, Spiritual, spiritually speaking. That's what he's saying. We, we repent and believe in Christ one time for reconciliation with God, to be made right with God, something that is irrevocable according to God. But man, our Christian life is so full of repentance and faith, or it should be. And in so doing, we are doing what? Bearing fruit by keeping with repentance. Actually, in so doing, you and I are becoming more and more mature. How do we practically pursue sanctification in our lives? Look at verse 13. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So think about this. Think about what Paul's saying. He's saying, how do I grow in Christian maturity and sanctification? By forgetting what's behind me. All of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. He's not saying you need to erase your memory as if that was possible, like men in black, you know, that little button he presses, then can't remember anything. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you don't need to be mindful of the past. The past is in the past. You need to confess any unconfessed sin from the past, which, if you ever thought about this, all sin is in the past. You sin, it's a moment later. Now you've got to confess it. But once you confess that sin, once you turn to the, the one who is faithful and just to forgive you of all sins, and you're forgiven and you're restored, believer, in fellowship with the Father, you need to let it go of the past. You need to move on to the future. You need to forget about the good. There's good things you've done in your life. You've served the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good for you, and, and I'm so glad, but if that is a weight that's keeping you in the past and it's not letting you strive ahead towards the good things that God has for you to walk in ahead, then it's not helping you, and it's not helping anyone else. You need to forget about the bad. There is some sin, I'm confident, in this room there's people that you're just living in shame from sin that you need to confess, you need to repent of, you need to turn and receive God's mercy, and you need to move on. You need to rest in his mercy. You need to relish his mercy. You need to rejoice in his mercy. Move forward. Paul, Paul needed to forget about the ugliest sin of his life. I mean, he was a persecutor of the church of God. He, he watched over the cloaks of the men so that they would have more freedom to swing their arms and pelt Stephen with stones to death. I mean, and he had to move on. So part of sanctification is absolutely leaving the past in the past, but the other part is focusing on the future. He says straining forward to what lies ahead, pressing on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Look at me, friends. There is a finish line. <laughs> There's a finish line. You'll never sin again once we reach that finish line, but we're not there yet. And you need to look ahead and remember there's a finish line because if you and I forget that we're running in a race that never ends, we're not going to run well. We'll get off track, literally. The goal is to run with endurance. The goal is to win the race. The goal is to rid ourselves of anything and everything that's weighing us down or slowing us down and to run into glory, not walk. Can't do that alone. Got to do that in community here. There is a prize. There is a prize for running well. The prize is the blessing of perfect eternal fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the greatest prize. But there are other prizes, there are other rewards as well. If you've ever been to an arcade, I was at one this past spring with my family. We were in South Carolina at the beach and there's this fun little old school arcade and we won a number of tickets. And you go into the arcade and now I'm looking at all the cheap prizes. You know, um, I spent more money probably then those prizes were all worth. But I've got my tickets. I'm, I'm looking at the prizes. Well, where are the, where are the top prizes? They're always on the top shelf. And then they're all the cheap, rinky-dink prizes all, all around, right? Christ is the prize. I, I hate to even use that analogy, you know, but he is the prize. He's the great, glorious prize, him. What is eternal life? John 17, 3 says that we know him and his son. He's the prize. Fellowship with him is the prize. And yet there are rewards for running faithfully. There's little prizes. We need to run to win the prize. We need to run to finish the race. What's slowing you down? Paul not only wants them to forget what's behind, he wants them to focus on the future. He wants them to be renewed of their minds in the present. That's why verse 15, look at it, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. He says that if anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. If we are thinking biblically because we are reflecting on the scriptures in community, we will grow in maturity. We will let the past be the past, we'll look forward to the future, and we'll be mindful of God and his grace in the present. The natural progression of walking in honesty and earnest pursuit of sanctification is that we are inviting others to follow us, to imitate our life as we imitate Christ. That is the natural progression of a Christian who is maturing in the faith. They're saying, follow me as I follow Christ. They're not saying, follow me because I'm perfect. They're saying, follow me, an imperfect man or an imperfect woman as I follow the perfect one. So Paul says that in verse 17. Look at it. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul gave other invitations like this in the New Testament to the Thessalonians, to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Reiterating that, hey, I, you're imitating me, but I'm, I'm seeking to imitate him, and you should seek to imitate him, and if I do anything that is outside of him, don't imitate that. That's what Paul's saying. But in the context of Philippians 3, what is Paul desiring that these Philippians imitate him in? Specifically, well, you've been with me on this journey in Philippians. I mean, so far, it's humility, right? Chapter 2. Here, it's honesty. It's earnestly pursuing sanctification. That's what Paul wants. He's saying, look at me, look at Timothy, look at Epaphroditus, and imitate us in these ways. Humble yourself before God. Be honest with your brothers and sisters. And yearn for a holiness that you will not see in this lifetime. But when you see him, you'll have it. 
It's not arrogant to invite people into discipleship with you. It's obedient. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. So when we're not inviting others into discipleship, or when we don't feel comfortable inviting others to follow us as we follow Christ, we've got to start asking questions. And these, these are not intended to shame you in any way. These are questions I'm asking myself, you know. Why is it? Why? Is it, is it because I'm presently ashamed of some present sin in my life? Confess it to the Lord. Repent. Be restored. Move on. Is it because maybe you're, you're not actively pursuing Christ as you know you should? You're not leaned forward? Confess that to God. Repent and believe in his mercies, which are new every day. Maybe it's just that you've never been discipled by someone in a formal sense. And you don't know what it even looks like to invite someone to follow you as you follow Christ. I can assure you it's not a cookie-cutter model. It's saying, let me, let me help you follow Christ by imparting to you what I've learned from him. I mean, I I view my role as a pastor every Sunday morning as discipling the congregation through the preaching of the Word of God. Whatever it is that's holding you back from inviting others to imitate you as you imitate Christ, bring it to the light. If you're stuck in a rut, God doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to pull you out for your sake. He wants to pull you out of a rut for other people's sake. He wants to pull you out for his glory's sake. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says this, that he, an elder, pastor, overseer, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So what's interesting about this is that a mature disciple is not just one who says, follow me in the way of truth. It's saying, follow me in the way of truth and don't follow them in the way of error. A mature disciple is able to say, don't stray from the path of life, watch out for falsehood. And that's really my my second point, my my fourth point here, rather. One of the marks of maturity is A disciple that's warning others of apostasy. Apostasy being leaving the faith. Apostasy being straying away from the God who came to save you. Look at verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God, their belly They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. A few things I want you to note. Number one, Paul says that he warned these Philippians and other believers often of the potential of apostasy, of leaving the faith. Often. It's very interesting because... There's a lot of Christians today, a lot of pastors who get a bad rep. It's like, hey man, is all you ever talk about is the false teachers and false prophets? Go read the New Testament. Look at Jesus Christ and the apostles. I mean, they were either teaching the truth or rebuking the falsehood. You know why? Because the most dangerous false teachers and preachers today and back then and back in the prophets' time were those whose lies were subtle. It looked like truth a little bit. It was off. I mean, I've mentioned the doctrines of the Catholic Church. It's off. It looks true. It's wrong. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is one saved. I've mentioned many other people in a short amount of time as your pastor here. Because it's important that you know what's true and that you know the subtleties of what's false. It's as subtle and insidious as a serpent in the garden. Did God really say, questioning the word of God, twisting the word of God? Be on guard. 
But Paul doesn't just warn of apostasy in this aggressive manner. He, he has tears that are filling his eyes when he speaks of those whom he knows apparently and loves and that have strayed from the faith. Look, I mean, he's, he's broken over it. He's speaking of specific people. He says, of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. We had an elder meeting, I guess it was last Monday, and I was just sharing with the other guys that, man, there have been a number of people who have walked away from the faith in a short amount of time that I've been a Christian. It's just disturbing to me. I mean, people who were in vocational ministry have walked away. Tom was so gracious to remind me that, uh, brother, I've lived longer, and trust me, it doesn't get any better. I mean, I, I saw one guy, basically he's adopted a complete pagan lifestyle. He's, he's drunk all the time. He's, he's in debauchery and foolishness with his roommates, and they, they, they celebrate it. They, they, they post about it. It's funny. It's not funny. It's a sign of his destruction if he doesn't wake up from his drunken stupor and repent. And it might be a sign for you too. I don't know. I've seen another guy who is a former youth leader in a parachurch ministry. Another chapter of, of K-Life that I was serving in North Dallas and he was in Fort Worth. And this guy abandoned the faith. He abandoned his ministry post there. He abandoned the church. And he fled to Austin to pursue a homosexual lifestyle. I've seen... A woman, a wife and a mother who served alongside me in young adult ministry, who abandoned her family. She abandoned the faith for an adulterous affair. And guess what? She was a Reformed Baptist. I'm just telling you right now, your Calvinism is not going to save you. There are Arminians and there are Calvinists in hell. Only Christ can save you. So going back to last week's message, if you put your hope of salvation and your Calvinism or your Reformed doctrine, you may be in danger because if your trust is in anything but Christ and His bloodshed alone, you're headed towards the same destination as the homosexual that went to Austin and as the rest of the people that I continue to see. I mean, there's a young man that I discipled and he's starting to veer left. I wouldn't say he's committed apostasy yet, but he's on the brink. He's making partnerships with those who I, I'm looking at. I'm going, I don't even think they're brothers or sisters in Christ. This is dangerous. And so I would be an unloving pastor to not be honest and, and warn you of this danger. There's a lot of ways to walk away from Jesus, a lot of directions to go in. Only one way to follow him. Repentance in faith, turning and continually trusting, walking not by sight, by faith and obedience to what he says in his word, walking not alone but with others, linked arms, headed towards glory, not arriving yet but knowing you're going to arrive when he arrives, in perfect holiness, a glorified state. Who are the enemies of the cross that Paul's referencing? Could be the Judaizers that I mentioned last week. The Judaizers, they were legalists. They added to the law of God. The Judaizers were headed towards destruction because they were adding to Jesus Christ. With what? With circumcision. They were adding the Mosaic law as a necessary requirement of obedience to be saved and not Christ alone. Their God was their belly in a sense because they were leaning on Jewish dietary laws and trusting in those to save in addition to Christ. They gloried, they boasted in the confidence of their flesh and the things that they were doing, which is shameful. They were consumed with earthly things. Jewish feasts, ceremonies, sacrifices, physical observances like circumcision. But friends, this could also be Gentile libertines. It could be people of a Gnostic variety, people who lean towards antinomianism, and those are all big words, so let me back up and just unpack that. 
It could be someone who's anti-law. And because they don't have a right understanding of the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, they don't have the right direction in life. The group of Gentile libertines, it were those who were living liberally, and they, weren't, they were leaning on their own understanding, not on the word of God, not on the scriptures. They were Gnostics in the sense that they said, well, what happens to the body doesn't matter. It's what happens to the spirit that matters. That's not a right way of thinking about things when you read your New Testament. They were antinomian. They were against the law. They thought that the law of God was a bad thing when the law of God's a good thing. The law of God is a schoolmaster, leads us to Christ. The law of God reveals the holiness of God. The, the law of God reveals the fact that we're not yet holy as he is holy in the sanctified way that I'm talking to maturity. The law of God's not bad. The law of God's good. It just can't save you. It just reveals that you need to be saved. Christ is the one that fulfills the law and thus he is the Savior. How were the Gentile libertines serving their bellies and, and not God? I think it's that they were total lack of appreciation for the bodies that God had given them. I, I think that they were eating and they were drinking in gluttonous and drunk, drunkenness. I, I think that they were doing things sexually that were immoral. They were doing whatever they desired, whatever seemed right to them, whatever felt good. With no consideration to the body, which is described as the temple of God in the scriptures. The, the Gentile libertines, they boasted in their sin. All things are lawful. All things are lawful when Paul says not all things are helpful. All things are lawful when Paul says not all things build up. They abused Christian liberties to defend their behavior, which was shameful. They were consumed with the world and the things of the world. So you've got the legalists on one hand, the, the Judaizers, then you've got the Gentile libertines on the other. Totally different sides of the road. T two ditches headed towards destruction. As I said earlier, there's a lot of ways to go wrong. There's only one way that's right. That's keeping our eyes on Christ and his word in community. Fifth and finally, A mark of maturity is seen in those who are eagerly awaiting Christ's return. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So in contrast to the apostates who were Consumed with the world, mature Christians are consumed with the things of heaven. They're looking up, not down. Now listen, we've got to look down every now and then. But we need to keep our eyes up. We need to remember the day that's ahead. The day that's a sure thing on our calendar. It's when he comes back. Paul says our citizenship's in heaven. The apostates are living like they are primarily and only citizens of earth. We are dual citizenship. We have our primary citizenship in heaven with Christ at the right hand in him. And yet, we're also Americans. If you're here with us and you're an American citizen. We have a citizenship here on earth and we're to live heavenly lives in this earthly existence. We're to live holy, set-apart lives in this earthly existence. That requires that we confess our sin and turn in community and grow in sanctification that we as individuals and we as a body of Christ can be a beacon of light, as Paul said earlier in Philippians, to the lost world around us. In this nation, as we await his nation, the kingdom of God, in its eschatological form and the new heavens and the new earth, Romans 8, 23 says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are good things. They're gifts from God that 
The physical is not bad. The physical is good. But, man, our bodies are depreciating, aren't they? I mean, I'm, I'm at the ripe age of 32, and I wake up some mornings, and I'm like, why does my hip hurt? <laughs> I'm young, comparatively speaking. What's wrong with us? Well, this is a fallen world. These are fallen bodies. Mature believers are not hoping to attain a perfect body in this lifetime. They're hoping that Christ does not delay. They're hoping that Christ comes quick because things are falling apart. 2 Peter 3, verse 11 says, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? That's an active waiting. It's not a passive waiting. Mature believers are those who are eagerly awaiting the transformation that is to come when our lowly bodies will be transformed to a heavenly body. What does that look like? I don't know. I mean, go read 1 Corinthians 15 and you tell me. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, it'll happen in the twinkling of an eye. But we will put on a glorified physical and spiritual body just as Christ put on one after his resurrection. One that allows us to be in the presence of God. One that allows us to go into heaven and to be in the new heavens and the new earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says this, just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Praise God. (laughs) This is something to look forward to. But this day when Christ returns and and we put on the new and the final new, it's a good day. But we've got to live in the tension right now of that day is coming, but that day is not here yet. What do I mean by that? I mean that you and I have got to eagerly look forward to the hope of that day when all of our bodily ailments and aches and pains are gone, no more tears, no more sadness. But the tension is that at the same time, we are to be good stewards of our bodies right now as we await that day. And there are folks who put too much focus on their earthly body. I kind of mentioned that earlier. It's like a vain glory, you know. You, you get so strong and so big and beautiful in this lifetime, but ultimately you're going to die. Ultimately you're going you're to have to drop the number of weights that you're lifting because your body can't sustain it because you're getting older and you're going to die. And so there's a vain glory where people treat, even Christians, treat the temple of God not as the temple, but as God. So again, there's a ditch on one side of the road. Here's the ditch on the other. We don't treat our bodies as the temple of God. You know, gluttony is a sin that I've wrestled with. I, I love food. I love the common grace of flavor that God's given us. I do, but, but we have to be conscientiously going, man, I want to savor and hunger for and be satisfied in Christ more than anything else. It doesn't mean that we lie to ourselves and say, a flame mignon at medium rare temperature is, not, is a bad thing. That's crazy. It's a good thing, okay? If you're a vegetarian, I'll talk to you after. It's a good thing. <laughs> Veggies are good too. Seasoned just right, I think they're good. Without seasoning, I don't know if they're as good, but anyways. I detract. We need to land the plane. I think you see what I'm saying. Let's long for that day as a community that's going, look, I'm not going to lean into vain glory with my bodies, but I'm not going to say, you know what, the body doesn't matter. I'm going to do the best I can to be the best steward I can with my body, and I'm not just pursuing physical health in this lifetime, but I'm leaning in towards spiritual health. How? Confessing your sin to brothers and sisters in Christ vulnerability and authenticity and and opening up about, hey, look, I haven't arrived. That's how you should open it. Hey, I haven't arrived, and by the way, this is going on. I just can't get rid of it. I can't shake it. That is the beginning of growing in maturity. The continuation is leaning into the Word of God, leaning into prayer, leaning into fellowship of brothers and sisters of Christ who can encourage you and disciple you into greater maturity in Christ, all with our eyes on Jesus Christ himself, the only mature one who's ever walked the earth.
In conclusion, Paul has very helpfully painted a picture of Christian maturity for us this morning. A mature believer is one who's honest of their shortcomings. They don't pretend to be perfect, but they don't throw their hands up in the air and say, well, sinner saved by grace, whatever, I'll just keep sinning. That's not mature. They're not just honest about their shortcomings, they're actively pursuing sanctification. How? By forgetting the past, by focusing on the future, by renewing their minds in the present with the scriptures. Thirdly, they're inviting others to imitate their life. Saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Fourth, they're they're warning others of apostasy. They're saying, don't follow those people. Don't listen to those podcasts. Don't watch those YouTube videos. Don't listen to those teachers or preachers, so-called, of the Word of God. And lastly, fifth, mature believers are those who are eagerly awaiting Christ's return. Living in that tension of the already but not yet. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to grow in maturity. We cannot white-knuckle this thing. We just can't. We thank you for the endless grace to grow. We thank you for the promise that we will grow as we keep our eyes on you and keep in step with your word and your spirit and keep in step with one another. We thank you for Colossians 1. Verse 28, which tells us that we grow in maturity by looking to Christ. And we grow in maturity by hearing Christ proclaimed. It says, him we proclaim. You are the only mature one who's ever lived, Jesus. Make us more like you. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Help me to do that. Help every pastor who ever preaches in this church to do that. And help us as members of the body of Christ do that. Proclaim Christ so that we can grow together. Amen.